0: well good morning everybody wow what a day already it's been and what a powerful powerful worship service and I'll tell you what I found the most powerful thing about it is as I'm sitting down here on the front row with my wife to hear your voices overpowering the speakers that were directly in front of me and I'm like this is what worship is all about it's not something that we do as spectators. Instead, it's something that we do as participants. And, and I'll just tell you, wow, what a powerful, powerful time of worship this morning. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in that. And thank you to you for fully engaging in that moment to prepare your heart and come expecting for God to do something great for you. I just want to share a couple of things before I dive into the message. And the first is this. This past Wednesday night, we kicked off small groups and children's ministries. And so if you, it's not too late. If you haven't signed up yet, I would encourage you as you exit today that you would sign up for a small group. There's men's small groups, sisterhood small groups. There's there's sermon-based small groups. There are classes that are being offered, all kinds of options and opportunities. And so Pastor Dan is sitting on the second row over here. He can answer all of your questions about that. You can also sign up there today. And then the other thing that I want to say about this is this past Wednesday night, I was in the first through fifth room. And what a joy and an honor and a privilege it was to be able to be in there and see PG and to see the other leaders just using their talents and their gifts to help disciple and empower the next generation. Like it was a blast for me to be able to see all of that. We have a tremendous, tremendous children's ministry on Sunday mornings and also Wednesday nights. If you're not utilizing it, I would encourage you to do that at the top of the stairs each Sunday. You can check your kids in and take them to their classrooms. And I'll tell you that what they'll experience in there is a lot more lively and less boring than what they'll experience in here. In fact, I was looking at a two-year-old this morning who was struggling to go into his classroom. And I said, I said, but you get to go in this classroom? The, you have these three workers in here serving today? How did you get so lucky to be able to go in this classroom? And ultimately, the kids stayed in that classroom. And uh, I guarantee you. Had a much better experience. But anyway, just want to encourage you with that and and say this one caveat. If you're not part of a small group on Wednesday nights, please don't let that keep you from bringing your children here on Wednesday nights and bringing your youth here on Wednesday nights. We don't view children's ministry or youth ministry as a babysitting service. We view it as a discipleship opportunity, and we want to partner with you as parents to help disciple the next generation. We hope that one day all of the kids from our community would show up here on a Wednesday night for, for what's being taught. And so anyway, I just want to encourage you with that. Uh, bring your kids, let them be a part of it, and, and sign up for, uh, for a small group. And then another thing tonight, The Point College Ministry kicks off tonight. So exciting. Pastor Madison has been connecting with a number of the teams at Warburg and a number of the students. And tonight, uh, we're going to shuttle and bus students from the campus over to here. Be praying for that service tonight, that students would encounter the mighty power in the presence of the Holy Spirit and that they would experience life transformation at the beginning of the semester that would set the pace for them for the rest of the year and potentially the rest of their college careers. In fact, let's just pray for that right now. Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our church in every generation, in every movement. And tonight we pray for the Point College Ministries as they kick off, that even now that you would begin to prepare the hearts of college students that are being invited, that have been invited to come tonight. And Lord, we just pray for a mighty outpouring of your spirit in the service that students who are far from you tonight would be reconciled back to you and others who are pondering uh, what they should do with their faith, that tonight would just be solidified in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, over the last few weeks, we've been celebrating a new thing that we're going to be kicking off at the beginning of October called the School of Arts. Pastor Fisher is leading that, and there has been so much interest and momentum that registered today are 82 students already for the School of Arts that's going to launch next month. It's huge. It's huge. September 19th, there will be an open house from 5 o'clock till 7 o'clock. We'd encourage you to come. And and I'm just telling you, I'm excited through this ministry what God is going to do. He's going to raise people up. This ministry is going to develop the gifts inside of people, of many kids and youth and adults. We have a child as young as 5 years old that's registered for a lesson and we have an adult that's seventy-two year old. That's seventy-two years old. That's registered to uh, to take music lessons. And so I just want to encourage you, whatever season of your life that you're in, God's not done with you yet, right? And so I encourage you, to, if you want to do that, to be a part of it. And many of you have asked, is there a need with the School of Arts? Surely there are costs associated with that. Is there a need and an opportunity to be able to be a part of that in a financial way? And I'll just say yes. Yes, there is a need, and yes, there is an opportunity. The startup cost for the School of Arts between the construction and purchasing uh, the pianos for those rooms is about $20,000. And so uh, if you want to be a part of that, one way that you can is through Kingdom Builders. For those of you who are unfamiliar With Kingdom Builders, it's our funding strategy for global missions, local church expansion, and future Christian leaders. And we're not going to cut out another missions project for this. We're just believing God to be able to fund it this way. And again, many of you have asked, and so here's the opportunity to be a part of it. You can give online at crosspointwaverly.com, mark Kingdom Builders on it. You can write a check or cash and drop it in the boxes on your way out. And again, just mark it Kingdom Builders, and we will get that uh, taken care of. School of Arts actually checks off two of the boxes of Global Missions, Local Church Expansion, and Future Christian Leaders. It enables us to be able to meet a need in our community as well as raise up uh, worship leaders and worship uh, people for for the future. And so I'm excited, so excited about that. Well, this morning we're going to kick off a new series. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles if you would like to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 this the book of Galatians is a letter to the Galatian churches and in this series we're going to look at its importance and theological relevance to our faith and life today specifically we're going to see the sweeping vision of grace that Paul lays out in this letter the message of the gospel and the message of grace is central to all of our stories and it's of utmost importance Paul was a passionate man In fact, as we read about the things that he said and the things that we did in the New Testament, whatever he set out to do, he did wholeheartedly, right? There was half-hearted was not in Paul's vocabulary. There's nothing in the Bible that we can read about his missionary exploits that would indicate that he was anything other than wholehearted in his endeavors. And the reality is, is that in his zeal and in his passion, he ran some people off. He offended some people. Some people unfriended him. And what we see is that what Paul was most passionate about and cared the most about was the gospel. If someone was to gauge how, what you care about most based on, on how much passion you have for it, what would they come up with? How about that Iowa-ISU game yesterday? Wow, that's the most responsive y'all have been all service. I'm just kidding. I already told you you're responsive during worship. Wowzers! By the looks of it, yesterday there were over sixty thousand people passionate about cheering on the Hawkeyes. A friend of mine invited me to go with him yesterday. This is my very first time ever to the stadium. First time ever watching a game, and the pre-show and the pre-like I almost called it pre-service, right? That's uh, pre-game was electric. I mean, all of these people were in black and gold, anticipating that their team is going to win. And there was so much excitement and partying and celebration in the air. And then you go into the stadium, and the atmosphere was electric. I mean, the commentators were even talking about how electric that that was. And, And I'll just tell you that I went in neutral colors. I had brown on. And somebody, seriously, and somebody said, wow. Uh, you came in neutral colors today, and I said I did because, you know, I, y'all can pick teams. Clearly, some of you have already uh, celebrated that ISU won the game yesterday. Spoiler alert, if you were going to watch it today, my apologies. <laughs> so I had these neutral colors on, and my friend that I went with was an ISU fan, and so he had his red colors on, and we were in the sea of black and gold, and a sea of of black and gold and at some points in the game i experienced something that i never knew that i would experience tens of thousands of fans began booing their own team (laughs) and so i'll just tell you this morning that paul's passion and loyalty to the gospel was much greater than the iowa fans to the hawkeyes yesterday In the midst of loss and adversity, Paul didn't boo it. He celebrated it and preached it all the more. That's good right there. Look, y'all must be more Iowa fans in here than I thought. I'm not trying to offend you with that analogy. I'm just telling you that those of you who are Iowa fans, that's how your fans represented you yesterday in the stadium. That's all I'm saying. Paul was a church-planting missionary. Some of his exploits are recorded in the New Testament, and what we see is that these exploits and these missionary endeavors were never easy. He suffered greatly, and he endured. He would travel to churches, and he would get them established, and then he would move to a new location to do the same thing over again while writing letters of instructions to the churches that he had just planted. One of these congregations was the body of believers in Galatia. After Paul established the church, there were a group of people that would come in and capitalize on what he had done, not at his invitation or his initiative. And they would begin to present things to, uh, to these new converts that would confuse the, the new believers. And the main thing or the theme that they would add is that you had to follow the law of Moses to be saved. Luke records in Acts chapter 15, verse number one, it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Verse number five, but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. We see in these verses that one of the things that, would, that they would add is that men had to be circumcised to be saved. You can imagine this was not a popular teaching among the men of that day. The necessity of circumcision was an example of following the law, and it was a sign of the covenant in the Old Testament. And Paul expands on what the gospel is and what it's not in, in the letter to the, church, to the g- churches in Galatia. The gospel is about Jesus and what he did, his sacrificial death on the cross for our sin. So let's pick up in Galatians chapter 1, verse number 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse number six I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we've preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word. For the power that it has to transform our lives, we ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your Spirit's power. Would you make your word come alive to us? Open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our minds to understand what you'd have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So many of the letters that we see that Paul wrote to the churches are filled with encouragement. and a greeting like this, every time I remember you, I thank God for you. But this letter is different. Paul doesn't start it out that way. Paul's disappointed in in these believers. He's disappointed how easily they've come to believe the false teachings of those that have come in after him. And in verse number one, he's addressing the fact that some didn't think that he was a real apostle because they had perceived that he had not seen the risen Jesus. And this was one of the requirements. And Paul just lays it out there For them, and he says, I, Paul, an apostle, he had seen Jesus on the road to Damascus, he says, I am an apostle, and this is the authority that I write this letter, and he says, it wasn't God who called me or qualified, excuse me, it wasn't man who called me or qualified me, it was God who called me and qualified me. He says, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He says, yes, that's the one who has called me and qualifies me. And he lays out his credentials, and then he makes this address. He says, to the churches in Galatia. There were a number of churches in in multiple bodies that he's addressing. And these churches have royally messed up. They've come under the influence of these Judaizers who have discredited Paul's apostleship. They've called into question the validity of the gospel. They've insisted that his converts weren't real because they hadn't uh, been circumcised. Imagine with me this morning that you know deeply the love of Jesus. You've passed on that love of Jesus to your kids, and now they go away or you move away, and somebody comes into their lives and says something like this Your dad tried the best. He tried to do the best by you. He really loves you. He tried hard, but he just wasn't qualified to talk to you about spiritual things at that level. And he thought you were soft and that you wouldn't be able to handle all of it. And so he just shared with you this Jesus loves you mumbo jumbo and that Jesus is enough. But it's really not. There's more to it, kid, and I'm sorry he didn't tell you that. Imagine if somebody did that to you try to discredit you, try try to drive a wedge between you and your kid, and then try to get them to believe something that's completely untrue. And this is what happened for Paul. These weren't his biological children, but these are converts, people that he had raised up who had presented the gospel to them. This is fruit of his ministry, that now somebody has come in and is discrediting the message that he shared. And so Paul is livid with the Judaizers who are presenting this, and he's disappointed in the converts. And with all of this, he starts his greeting to the churches with this word, grace, In verse number three, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, you've really made a mess of things, but all is not lost. He encourages them to go back where they began, which is grace. He says, and there you'll find what you need, everything you need, the only thing that you need. There you'll find grace. He had to take them back there because they had lost touch with grace, which was evident in the fact that they were willing to and ready to submit to the knife and get circumcised. And Paul is writing this letter because he wants to see grace unleashed on a desperate situation. More importantly, God wants to unleash his grace. We see this throughout the entirety of the Bible that God wants to unleash his grace on our lives. So after all that has transpired, Paul says grace and peace to you. Maybe there are some in the room today or some watching online who you've really made a mess of your life. And today the word of those for those who will repent is grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He continues in verse number four to tell us why there's even grace. Talking about Jesus, he says, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Paul's pointing the Galatians back to this fundamental fact that Christ gave himself for our sins. We hit on this last week with the sin problem and addressed that it was addressed by Jesus on the cross. He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Not that we would be conformed to the world, but to be transformed so that we could offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. In verse number four, he continues with, "According to the will of God our and Father, according to the will of God and Father." What's the will of God? Second Peter chapter three, verse number nine. Second Peter chapter three, verse number nine says, "The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." There's something so amazing here this morning that I hope you don't miss. And it's this, the Galatians had wandered away from the message of grace. They had had added an extra burden that Christ didn't intend for them to carry, and in doing so, effectively said Jesus wasn't enough. And in the mess that they created, Paul encourages them not to continue in ignorance, but instead to come back to grace. Grace. There are a couple of lenses that we could look at this letter through today, and the first lens is that it is a letter for those who had the faulty belief that they could earn God's favor through their works. The other lens is that this letter could be viewed as a letter for prodigals. It's a letter for those who've made a mess of their own lives, who are on the verge of abandoning their faith, ready to shipwreck their faith, and for those who are on the brink of moral or spiritual disaster. And the image or the message through both of those lenses is a call for wayward believers to come back to grace. This morning, this is still the cry of the heart of our Heavenly Father. His cry is that all those who've adopted a false gospel and those who've turned away from God would come back to grace. And Paul lays out that there is grace. In his introduction, he's right there with them telling them that there's grace for them and peace. It's like he's giving them hope right before he's about to pierce their soul with some very direct language. In verse number six, he voices his disappointment in the body of believers there. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul has invested in this community, and he's torn up inside because they've deserted grace They've deserted the faith that they once believed. And they might not have viewed it that way, but the Judaizers had sold them a bill of goods on how to enhance their faith. And in doing so, they deserted grace. There's this gospel equation as this, is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus anything else is not the gospel. This is why Paul accuses the Galatians not of adding to the gospel, but turning to a different gospel altogether. This morning we might wonder why then and why now, why would anybody in their right mind turn from grace to no grace? Or to turn to another gospel that's no gospel at all? As Paul continues in verse number 7, he says, not that there is another gospel. He says, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of grace. This verse shows us two reasons that people turn away. The first reason is they've been troubled. People have experienced crisis or adversity or tragedy or pain or hurt or loss. The second is people turn away when they encounter twisted truth. Paul said they're turning to another gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who are troubling you who want to distort the gospel. And if that isn't an image for what's happening today, I don't know what is. There's a push for universalism like no other. And some of you are like, what is universalism? Universalism is the belief that all roads lead to heaven and that everybody will make it. This is not the message of the gospel. We talked about this a while back in our Unearthed series, how we talked about uh, finding our identity and that the world tells us to look in, find the deepest desire, whatever that is, then look out to find a group of people who will support that, and then find, look up to find a religion that then uh, supports all of that. And we just reject that as followers of Jesus. We don't look in to determine who we are and to determine reality. Instead, we just look up right, and we look up, and God determines who we are. He determines our identity. He he determines morality, and so with this push for people to look deep within to determine morality, there's been disastrous effects. Across the board, good has been called evil, and evil has been called good. For many, the Bible is no longer the standard, and people have turned to a gospel or a belief system that is no gospel at all. Let me say it this way, and then, then we'll move on. The, the, the gospel message is this, that God, the grand creator of the universe, spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. What power? He created Adam and Eve, and sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve, and humanity now has a sin problem that has to be dealt with. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse number 23, for the wages of sin is death. Right? Eternal Death in hell. For the wages of sin is death. It doesn't say for the wages of sin might cost some of you a little bit in this earth, but don't worry because again, all roads lead to heaven and everybody makes it there. Paul says for the wages of sin is death. And then there's this conjunction, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look, I know that there are some people who struggle with the idea of hell. They ask, how could a loving God send someone to hell? And they don't think it's fair. And I think I could allow myself to go down that track if God didn't make it so easy for people to believe in him. He doesn't require anything from humanity that they can't control. He doesn't require a certain ethnicity. He doesn't require a certain pedigree. He doesn't uh, require a certain undetermined amount of good works. He doesn't require that you have a certain amount of money to your name. Instead, what Paul says to the believers in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he says, For grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of our own doing, it's a gift from God. Paul says you can't earn it, and you can't buy it, and you don't deserve it, but it's by grace. And that grace has been extended to all. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The love of God is so great. And the invitation is for all, the whole world. It's inclusive of everyone. And the only requirement from this loving God is to receive this invitation to spend an eternity with him, in him, with him in heaven is to believe in him. Romans chapter 10, verse number 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God's made a way. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse number 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Universalism preaches a gospel that all make it. And this is a perverted gospel. It's no gospel at all. Universalism says you're in bondage to sin. That's okay. You can stay bound. In fact, you can continue in all sorts of immorality and evil and still make it to heaven this is the prevalent gospel of our culture today and of some churches. And if Paul were to address the church in America today, I can't imagine how much stronger that his language would be and his rebuke would be for us. To think that this is the most advanced society in all of history. We have the deep and the rich history of the church unprecedented access to the Bible, yet rather than read it and know it, people believe a different gospel. People have, as verse number seven says, distorted the gospel of Christ or created or turned to a new gospel that's no gospel at all. And Paul feels so passionately about this that in verse number eight, he says, even if we begin to preach to you something contrary to what we've shared in the past. He's, he says it so dramatically. Even if an angel appears to you and presents a gospel other than this, may they be accursed. He writes, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. I've never personally witnessed a mirage in a desert But what we know is that when cold air and hot air meet and the sun shines through that, that it can create what looks like a body of water in the midst of a desert in the sand. And our minds and our eyes tell us that something that doesn't exist, exists there. And in this passage, Paul is urging the Galatians in the face of adversity, in the face of pain, in the face of false teaching, and in a spiritual desert to not waver from the truth of grace. Paul ends this section similarly to where he started. And he started with this. It's not man who called me. It's not God. It's not man who qualified me. It's God who, who called me. It's God who qualified me. And so it's not man that I'm interested in receiving accolades and affirmation and praise from, it's God. And so rather than, than speak soft words to people who had messed up, Paul spoke very directly and very sternly. But with that, he provided hope the gospel message hasn't changed the gospel message is still the good news sin separates us but God in his love for us sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that we could have forgiveness of sins and receive the free gift of eternal life with him in heaven This invitation to exchange a sin-bound life without peace for a grace-filled, forgiven, peaceful life. This is the invitation that God gives to us. And so maybe today there are some of you, because of adversity or because of hurt or because of pain or because of false teachings. That today you're you're, you're ready to walk away from God. You're ready to walk away from the church. And I just want to tell you that what you've seen is a mirage and it's an illusion. The water that you think exists on the other side is not nourishment to your soul. It's not healing water to bring healing to you. And so I want to encourage you, as Paul said To the believers in Galatia, if you've turned away today, turn back to grace. If you've added something else, remove it, repent, and turn back to grace. And for others of you that are sold out right now, fully committed, can I just encourage you to not lose sight of grace. Don't lose sight of the gospel. Don't add anything to it. We bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. God has a better way. And his way is truth and righteousness and holiness. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, if you say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but today I want to become one. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God you've turned your back on him and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. If that's you, when I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three, lift them up all across this room. Thank you, I see that hand. You can put it down, too. Are there others this morning? Three, you can put it down. Are there others this morning? Let's all stand. There were at least three hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to Him. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us in a prayer and if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning, I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul. All of my strength in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what He's done If you raised your hand and prayed that prayer, I'd ask that you would text the word yes to 319 250 8998. Again, text the word yes to 319 250 8998. We want to follow up with you on the decision that you've made today in the journey that God wants to take you. At the end of each of our services, we leave time for people to receive prayer. The worship team's about to lead us in another song, and when they do, the prayer team will gather on this side of the stage and this side of the stage. And if you've come here today needing anything, I'd encourage you to step out of your seat and come forward. to pray, and then they'll lead us in that song. I encourage you to do that. God, we thank you so much. We thank you for the truth of the gospel for the power of the gospel. We thank you that Jesus, you are enough. As we sang that song earlier of speaking Jesus, Lord, I pray this morning for those who have felt the pressure to add something to it, for those who have sought some form of spirituality outside of the grace of of your gospel, Lord, I pray this morning that they would return, that they would repent and return to this, and that you would be enough. Lord, thank you for letters like we see to the church of Galatia of people who royally messed up and missed it, but yet the message of grace and hope that's there. So Lord, I pray for those this morning who whose lives are a royal mess right now, self-inflicted or otherwise that today would be a day that they would experience grace and peace from you. Help us as we go from here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.